Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. This show is for veterans, first responders, and their families, and honestly, for anybody who wants to recover from trauma. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. Our vision is of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please help with this mission by following and rating this show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This simple action will help others find help for PTS injuries. Your help in promoting this podcast could be saving a life. And we're rolling live on Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Today, I'm doing a bit of a different show. I have online from the Ukraine, Bodan Ket. Bodan, um, so uh, share with us, where exactly in the Ukraine are you right now? Yeah, I, I can't share, you know, the exact city just for the purpose of security. But of course. I'm currently in the western part of Ukraine close to the Lviv region, which is kind of like on the Polish border. And I relocated here from Kiev on the very first day when the war broke out. Right. And what is the situation there? What can you tell us about what you've been seeing and experiencing since the war broke out? Well, you know, like, I think every citizen of Ukraine who've been in the country on the 24th of February, we all felt kind of disoriented on that very first day. No one expected that, you know, in the 21st century, the neighboring nation can attack other sovereign independent nation in the morning, which is basically the same way the World War II broke out. So that's kind of what I felt back then. And uh, I just woke up, you know, in the morning. I got a call from my girlfriend saying that the war started. So I was just trying to, you know, kind of like stay calm and plan my actions. So that's what we did. We just packed some necessities, got into our car, and uh, headed in the direction of the western Ukraine because that was considered to be like a safer option due to the news, you know, that were popping up and saying that the fences and, like, military advancements were mostly, like, in the northern, in the eastern, and in the southern part. So that's what we did, and that's where I am now. What can you tell us about the scale of the destruction that's been going on that uh, that you're aware of? Yeah, I actually traveled back to Kiev uh, last week just, you know, to pick up some stuff because I left legally with the winter clothes and it's already spring in Ukraine. So uh, I was living out of the suitcase. So I got back to Kiev because it was relatively safe. There you can see like huge destructions on the outskirts of the city, especially in the suburbs, because Russian troops, they were trying to encircle the city. So, you know, they were kind of going in circles. And Kiev is uh, basically it's split by a river and it has two banks. So they were trying to advance from the northern part, from the Belarus, actually, and we're trying to encircle Kiev from both banks. So that's why when you approach the city, you see many destructions. You see holes, you know, in the traffic signs, probably from bullets, uh, like machine guns fired from helicopters, and I think from uh, infantry transport vehicles. 
Uh, you see, like, uh, basically destructions from shelling, you know, houses dis- destroyed and apartment building- buildings damaged severely. You see maternity hospitals damaged, you know, and that's what makes you angry at the same time and also kind of shocked that this is happening, like, in right now in our modern time. And basically you see, like, war crimes committed. And I really felt, like, you know, anger, like a mix of emotions. I can't even describe all of them. But when we were approaching the city, you can see vividly, like, how, you know, the fates of people were basically kind of damaged and the plans they made. Uh, the sacrifices they'll have to make in the future, uh, they're just horrendous. For people that have not actually been in a war zone, it is really, truly beyond description. It is, uh, I'm assuming this is the first time you've ever seen a war? Yes. Well, I, I saw that in, you know, in TV and back in 2014, so Ukraine has been at war like for 80 years already with Russia and uh, because Russia were supplying weapons to the kind of like the separatists in the Donbass area, which is in the eastern part of Ukraine. And we, we all saw that like back in 2014 and 15 when we had like active combat campaigns and our troops were trying to conduct this anti-terrorist operation. That's how we called it back then. But it was kind of far away, you know, we saw it on TV. I saw like many soldiers, you know, in the city, you know, some of them traveled back and forth. I origi- I'm originally from the western part of Ukraine, so many people served. I have like close, you know, relatives who served in the military. So the war was still near, but I was never basically like in the epicenter of this, you know, seeing the destruction, so like destroyed cities, especially buildings or so much... Uh, like so many destroyed units of military equipment. Because when you approach Kiev, you see, you know, destroyed and burned down Russian tanks and uh, whatnot. So, so, yeah, you see, you basically feel it yourself and you start imagining, you know, how, how the people who were actually uh, engaged in the active combat, what they felt and kind of influences you to have this, you know, mix of emotions you kind of trying to wonder, okay, what's next? What should I do? How can I help? And how can people help? What um, The whole world, of course, is a little bit slow to help out their Ukraine in a kinetic way to actually show up because nobody wants World War III to kick off. So everybody's being really cautious, <laughs> and, and understandably so. Uh, picking a fight with with Russia, getting NATO involved, could kick off the next world war. And as Einstein once said, I don't know how uh, World War Three will be fought, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. And so the, the world is very, very cautious. What type of supports does the Ukraine need right now? You know, I think that Many people hope for some peaceful resolution at this point. I think I kind of lost hope because we don't see like willingness, especially on the Russian side, for negotiations, you know, of any sort. So, and I think that's what people uh, really like, you know, underestimated. 
especially at the onset of this war. Like many people were saying that, especially in the West, I think in the US and Europe, that the problem with this war is that like, you know, they're trying to legitimize Putin's actions and saying, okay, there have been like massive NATO advancements since the World War II. So what choice did they have left? And that's kind of bothers me because that that is kind of thinking that we want to prevent in the modern world. So we shouldn't legitimize any invasions or any aggressive military actions against other sovereign nations. And that's what Russia did. So that's that's the fact. And we cannot find any you know, root causes for those actions because it wasn't again because of the NATO and NATO expansion. NATO is a defense block. So its main purpose is to defend the countries, especially the smaller countries from the bigger countries that are considered world superpowers. At least that's my kind of take uh, for this kind of like military union. But at the same time, what I'm seeing right now is that there's one man who's also an autocrat who wants to preserve his power in the country that he has been, you know, ruling for ages. I think Putin has been in president for more than 20 years especially like de facto president because he was a, he had a short break there. But still, he just wants to preserve his power and that's just a sign what happens when you have basically that kind of uh, state system that is permissive of those kinds of actions and basically using military force against other nations. So, and I truly understand like, you know, the the fears of the people in other countries that they do not want to have a third world war. But the problem is that we actually fight it now. And I think the best way to end this war is to help Ukraine with weapons that we need to, in the first place, to defend ourselves, but also to defend our territories. Because at the current stage, we already have, you know, a significant chunk of our territory occupied. And we still have Ukrainian people, Ukrainian citizens living there in horrendous conditions because there are multiple, you know, humanitarian catastrophes across those occupied cities. Like Mariupol, you know, people don't have access to basic supplies. And I see that many people want to help with the humanitarian aid. And that's all great. We are happy for any support that anyone can provide. But at the same time, what me and my, you know, some other of my friends trying to do, we try to supply the necessary technical equipment to the army, because at this stage, the army is the only thing that prevents humanitarian catastrophes from happening in the first place. So that's kind of a mental model that I and some of my friends and close ones have adopted. So we're trying to help an army in the first place because they defend the cities, they defend children, families, you know, they basically help them to stay safe. And also I hear many people saying, okay, well, you can just withdraw your own troops, you know, and lead peacefully, you know, like let, let Russians occupy and you will avoid the fight, avoid destruction, avoid the basically kind of, you know, the loss of human lives. But it's not what actually happening. So we saw what happened in the cities that Russians have occupied. They have execution lists. So they basically do ethnic cleansing. So they go, you know, into family houses one by one. They have the execution list, so they just take up men and they execute them because they are they can be conscripted, so they know they can fight in the military. They can, you know, basically organize some kind of uh, 
partisan movement in those cities, so they're just afraid. And they also, they don't believe that Ukraine has the right to exist. And that's what scares me the most. So you're not fighting some sort of a war on the kind of like on ideological premise or trying, you know, to resolve some disputes or conflicts on a political level. Ukraine really fights for its existence. So, you know, and I really have, uh, I really like to refer to this quote of Golda Meir. Basically, was I think she she was one of the first, well, the first president of Israel, where she said like, uh, "What choice do we have when one side wants us dead and we want to live? It doesn't really, you know, leave us uh, too big of a room for compromise." And that's where currently we are now, basically in the same situation. So we don't really have any choice left but just to defend ourselves and. Uh, that's why we're asking for help with weapons, you know, just asking for basically any help uh, that people can provide to us at this point and so we can defend every inch of our territory and make sure that our people are safe and uh, they don't have to basically sacrifice their lives for, for something else. And that helped through Colo. So how... I mean, of course, you can't give me the logistics, nor do I want them, but... Um, how does Colo work getting uh, weapons actually into your hands? That's got to be a tricky supply line. Yeah, sure. So we don't work with weapons, so we don't have any licenses for that. We work with a dual use equipment. I think that's the correct technical term. So our main goal is to make Ukrainian defenders more technologically advanced and provide them with equipment need to you know, to save their and protect their lives in the first place. So some of the examples of the things that we work with uh, are thermal imagers, optical sides, Kevlar vests and helmets, also radio and night vision equipment. So, you know, that's like the flavor of the equipment that we work with. And uh, it's probably... There is a big difference, you know, in kind of like volunteer movements in Ukraine and like smaller countries and in countries like Canada and the U.S. Uh, because as far as I'm aware, like in the U.S. and the Canada, volunteers mostly prepare like carry packages for soldiers uh, that are like at the forefront or, you know, serve in uh, active military campaigns. And in Ukraine, really have a shortage of equipment. And at this point, I think everybody knows that Russian military machine is a huge one. So a country like Ukraine doesn't have the same military potential, you know, in terms of like human capabilities and human numbers, but also in terms of equipment. So I think it's currently it's a shared responsibility between the state and different charity organizations that supply like the army and civilian, civilian defense units with this, like, necessary equipment to help them protect their lives. Uh, because we had a huge shortage of vests, you know, like, basically uh, body armor, some basic protection that you need in order to stay safe. Also some medical equipment, but we at Colo don't work with medical stuff uh, because we felt like we are more, you know, we have more expertise with the technical equipment because we come from a, from a tech sector. So a lot of us are just tech guys, you know, computer programmers 
hardware engineers, so we have more expertise, we do things that we work with. But we also have like a network of other funds that, for instance, supply medical equipment like tourniquets and uh, basic protection also to the soldiers at the forefront. Are there other organizations that are getting supplies to other than Colo that you know of? You mean in Ukraine? Some yes. other like charity funds? Yeah, there are many of them. One of the biggest is uh, uh, Come Back Alive. It's been launched since... Uh, yeah, it's operated since the war broke out in 2014. And they're probably the biggest uh, charity foundation right now. That uh, And their main goal is to help also you know, the military with technical equipment, but also protection gear, uh, also with cars. So many of them, you know, some old pickups. Uh, they buy them, for instance, in Europe and supply them to Ukraine, uh, supply to some military units, defense groups, civil and protection forces. Uh, yeah, they, they have just a bigger scale. And Colo is really young, so we started uh, in the first days of March. So, you know, it was really our, like, urge. We felt the urge to help our country, and we just orga- organized ourselves and decided, okay, what we can do, what skills do we have, uh, you know, that can contribute and kind of help uh, folks who are defending our independence and sovereignty. And we decided, okay, we know how to fundraise, we know how to build websites, we know how to build partnerships with people. So, and we have many connections, you know, so many people joined us. So currently at Colo, we have more than 60 volunteers, people who work across functions. Some of them focus on fundraising, the others on operations. Uh, the other ones on partnerships, you know, looking for suppliers, uh, trying to take care of logistics, you know, shipments and all that. So that's kind of a little preview of how we operate. Well, Bodan, I'll have links to your website and the Facebook and uh, LinkedIn links all on the show notes. So when this gets published in about an hour, that'll all be on there. And I urge the listeners, if you would like to help support the Ukraine so that uh, they can better defend themselves, to go to Colo and to make your donations. And if you happen to be an equipment supplier, um, same thing. Go, go to Colo and help them out in any way that you can. Bowden, uh, you're, you're breaking up there. <laughs> you're frozen on me, but we're, we're about there anyway. But please stay on the line. And we'll continue yes, this sir. chat if you unfreeze here. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hello, my friends. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you found this episode helpful, healing, or informative, please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share, share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels because sharing is caring.